lady. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Raj. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee. If you're a visitor, I just want to reiterate. God, yeah, who's that? Scary guy. Two scary guys in the middle. Three scary guys in the middle. <clears throat> uh, if you're a visitor, once again, I'd like to welcome you. Uh, thank you for coming along. We love having visitors joining us. If you've got a Bible, you you might want to start turning to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 16 to 20. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. Um, Alison will be projecting it up on the screen later. So Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. I just want to reiterate uh, what Simon said about Alpha. Over the next few weeks, please pray for uh, our Alpha over, over, over February and March. Uh, it's going to be six weeks again. We've really ha- God has really poured out favor on our alphas um, uh, very recently. A lot of people have got saved and added into the life of the church. So can I encourage you to pray for all those involved in Alpha. Pray for who you can invite. Pray uh, that, um, that people, when they hear the gospel, because that's all that Alpha is, when they hear the gospel, that many people come to faith. And actually on the 30th of January, um, eventually I'll get, um, I'll let Jackie know about it so I can give you a little bit of advance notice. It might go into the notices or up on a PowerPoint at some point um, when I let Jackie know. Um, On the 30th of January, I think that's a Wednesday, uh, we're going to have a prayer meeting uh, just like we have done before, really praying into and praying for uh, the people on Alpha 30th of January at Melbourne House at 7:30. And also, just uh, I'll also tell this. I'll also let Jackie know about this at some point. Um, um, next month, date not clear yet. Next month, we're going to have uh, an evening at uh, Hope House, Hope House Cafe. Uh, just really to, so that you guys, all of you, could be invited just to come along, have your meal there. It's a couple of quid. And really the idea behind it is that we have our community groups. Our community groups are excellent. But also um, we want to encourage you to mingle with people outside your community groups, people you've never, you don't usually hang, hang out with. So, or, so I'll give you more details about that um, nearer February. But basically we'd love you to come Bring your family. We're going to be bringing our kids uh, and eat together and uh, fellowship together. So more about that later. So we started our new teaching series, haven't we, for the new year. The things that Jesus said. Jesus' actual words. Um, Last week, Paul Paul kicked off with um, Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Or not overcome it. Jesus didn't, never, he never beat around the bush, did he? And you'll find that with a lot of um, sayings of Jesus as as we look uh, uh, over the sayings of Jesus over the next few months. You see, Jesus wasn't just a nice guy. The real Jesus, the one we read about uh, in the Bible, you know what? He offended people. He infuriated people. He made them sometimes apoplectic with the truth. He always made people stop and think about what he said. And do you know what? If that's not your experience when you listen to the words of Jesus, you probably, chances are, you probably haven't heard him properly. 
You know what? Jesus is not the cardboard cutout that we sometimes like to make him. And so over the next teaching series, my prayer really is that we'll get to know the real Jesus more intimately, more clearly, and more closely, such that it changes us to be more and more like him. As Paul said, you know, we want to be building a church that is centered on Jesus in every way, whether it's leadership, prayer teams, community groups, preaching, hope house, uh, open door, whatever it is, prayer meetings, we want Jesus to be at the very center of everything we do. So my question at the outset of this preaching series is this, are you, are you prepared to be shaped and molded by the Jesus of the Bible. If you're not a Christian here this morning, are you going to finally take seriously this one man who has made a footprint in world history like no other person ever has? How long are you going to keep ignoring him? That's my challenge to you this morning. So um, let's read the passage, shall we? It's it's what has become known over the years as Jesus' great commission to the church. Just quickly putting it into context, Jesus has been ministering now on the earth for three years, healing the sick, teaching, loving the unloved, challenging the religious people of his day, rocking uh, rocking all sections of society, really, shaking it. He's eventually, as planned from the beginning of of time, brutally tortured and crucified and laid to rest in a tomb, dead. All of his disciples and followers are now downhearted. In the midst of all the horror uh, and the pain of the last few days, they seem to have forgotten or even doubted that this was actually what Jesus said was going to happen. And that ultimately death wouldn't hold him. And he would rise again in victory. That's what Jesus told them. And so here we come to Matthew, uh, the writer of this gospel. Matthew's record of Jesus making his first resurrected appearances to the Marys and then to his disciples. And he tells them to meet him in Galilee for his final instruction before ascending to his Father in heaven. So that just puts uh, this passage that we're about to read in context. So Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. The Bible's very real and honest, isn't it? Then Jesus came to them and said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, never ceasing, without a gap, to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this great commission, this great adventure that you've asked us to be a part of. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for every single part of it. I pray, Lord God, that we 
have this rooted into our hearts. We understand it. We realize what it means individually for us, personally, but also as a church that this great commission mobilizes over the next year and the years to come into the church that you are calling us to be. A church that is rooted into this amazing commission, this amazing gospel mandate to bring the gospel to all nations of the world. We pray, Spirit of God, be with us this morning, but in everything we do, in everything we organize, in everything we take a step of faith for, we pray, Spirit of God, be with us in all of that. Amen. So the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And you know what? I am always, Jesus is always with you to the very end of the age. That is our mandate. That is the great commission that God has given us, the church, to be and do. You, me, the whole of Jubilee. The great missionary uh, to China, a guy called Hudson Taylor, uh, commented on Matthew 28, 18 and said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. Someone else said, the Great Commission is the great adventure of Christianity. So this morning I want to explore a little about what that means for us, or what I think that means for us, particularly on the back of what Julian brought a few weeks ago, especially on the Saturday when he addressed us as leadership teams. A lot of you uh, might not have been there that morning. You can listen to it. If you haven't heard it, um, I would really encourage you to listen to it. It's on our website under the downloads. Very encouraging, really exciting. More and more, we want to be a people shaped by what God says through the prophetic than anything else, above anything else. And so really, I'm going to unpack a bit of that. And really, I want to look at three phrases that God really arrested my attention with as I prayed through and read through this passage. And those three things really are, and do you know what, this morning... As, we preach, as I preach today, a lot of the prophetic, and Johnny, a lot of your songs really fits in with this. And I think, you know, as a church, you have really prepared us in worship this morning uh, for some of the things that I'm going to bring this morning. So the three things are, one, all authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. Secondly, go. Go. And thirdly, I am with you. Always. So three things this morning. All authority to Jesus. Go, and I'm with you always. So firstly, all authority has been given to me. Who's in charge? That's what Jesus is saying. I don't know if you've ever parked your car somewhere where you shouldn't have, and then someone taps you on the shoulder, and he asks you to, sort of very politely, he asks you to move it, and your first thought is, well, who's asking? Who's asking? Does that ring a bell with anyone? Maybe it's just me because I'm so full of myself. Who's asking? Well, that's what Jesus is one step ahead of here. Because when you give a mandate as great as the one Jesus has just given in Matthew 28, he knows what our first thought is going to be. Who's asking? 
And so Jesus kicks off with this great statement, this great mission statement, by reminding us, first and foremost, who's asking? Who's telling, actually? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, him, Jesus. Therefore, do what I tell you to do. What's he saying? Well, Jesus uses this very powerful word in the Greek, powerful word, exousia, which means authority. And we often don't get the power behind this in, in, in the translation when it comes into the English. Exousia, authority, exousia means very specifically God's absolute, rightful, lawful, undeterred, unimpeded, unstoppable permission and power to do whatever he wills. Jesus is king. That's who's asking. Do you believe there is a king over all mankind and it's his unchallengeable right and power to do whatever he likes with creation? Do you believe we have a heavenly king who has an undisputable claim over our lives that we should live for his glory? Do you believe we have a king who is judge of all the earth, whether you believe in him or not? And he will have that last word. When Jesus rose from the dead to be ascended back to the throne room of heaven, he demonstrated by the power of the resurrection who's asking. John Hosier, um, a theologian, writes, in, 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 a kingdom, in a kingdom, one man rules. His will is the law. There is no room for debate or opposition or voting. The kingdom of God speaks of the real rule and authority, exousia, of God. It speaks of God's government. When you read Isaiah 6, you feel, you feel the full blow of God's authority as one man, the prophet Isaiah, suddenly realizes who's asking. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, big angels, that's big angels, not the kind of angels that you see on Christmas cards either, big angels. Seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, with two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, cries Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean, unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Who's asking? That's who's asking. Over the years, it's always got to me, it's always got me as to how the Bible kicks off. I love how the Bible kicks off. In the beginning, God. That's it. 
There's no long, long drawn out explanations or arguments about who made God, about who was there before him, like maybe I would have done if I was writing it. It's not a detailed scientific account of how things came to be. There's no philosophical debate. There's no uncertainty, no confusion, no ambiguity. Just in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's it. That's all you need to know. It's simple. In fact, all these arguments and debates and philosophical conundrums in this very simple yet very powerful start to the Bible are proven, are proven as irrelevant as they are silly. God is, God was, and God always will be the beginning of all things. Why? Because he has all authority. All exousia is given to him. Now we live in a very unique part of the world where people don't like a God of authority. An all-powerful creator God. Oh, no, 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 no. They'd rather take that position themselves. In fact, we do that quite a bit of the time too. Many people today don't believe we're ju- Many people today believe we're just a random series of matter and events and forces which show no sign of a personal God, no absolute authority, no exousia. You know what? Never has there been a culture in all of known history like ours. The atheist um, Richard Dawkins writes this, hear this. In the universe, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no God. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. So there you have it. According to that, there is no supreme authority. The world, me, you, our kids, Hitler, Bin Laden, Mother Teresa, we're all just dancing to the music of our DNA. Just by chance. Good, evil, love, fear, compassion, hope, bereavement, laughter, joy, just all random chemical reactions. Not real. Is that how you really see it? No God, no authority. You see, the Bible tells an altogether different story, an altogether beautiful and much more believable story. It says things like this um, in Daniel 4. I will praise the Most High. I will honor and glorify Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold His hand back or say to Him, What have you done? You see, the Bible just goes on and on 
about it. The exousia, the authority of God. It cannot stop declaring the wondrous authority and majesty of our King, the one we worship. Have you got the message yet? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And you know what? His resurrection affirms that that is true. Who's asking? The king is asking. Therefore, point two, someone at leadership training uh, used to say, always find, out, always find out what the therefore is therefore. <laughs> therefore, Knowing this from the very depths of our heart and souls, that Jesus has all authority, all power, Jesus says, therefore, go, 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 and make disciples of all nations. That is point two. So the question in this section is this. What part of go do we not understand? You see, I think it's the most important word in this whole Great Commission. I really do. And for some reason, we have the habit of changing it, don't we? Instead of go, we read it as come. Have you noticed that? Come to this church and we'll look after you. Come and be a part of us and we'll provide you, as Paul very cheekily said the other day, with entertainment, although we won't. It's a very good point. We say, come here and we'll give you a set of friends. We want, to be, we want a building so that loads of people can come to it. Come and hear our teaching. Come and get counseled. Come and we'll help you get out of different, difficult situations. Come and we'll love you. Come. But do you know what, Jubilee? That is not go. That's come. Now, it's not that come is necessarily bad. You've got to understand, don't hear what I'm not saying. You've got to understand that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. A lot of it is very biblical. But what it does is it makes the church into a static place where people come to rather than being the church that Jesus intended to go and release the kingdom to a lost and dying world. It restricts, it restrains the church in all she should be. Do you see that? The success of Jubilee, remember Julian telling us this, the success of Jubilee is not going to be based on how many people we gather or how big our church is, although you know what? He is going to make it bigger. I've noticed over the years, uh, this has become, a big church has become the primary aim of many of our churches. No, the success of this church jubilee in terms of the kingdom purposes of God will be primarily based on how many people jubilee sends out having an influence on people, cities, structures, organizations with the gospel of Jesus and the powerful, life-changing kingdom activity of God. Julian said, God is calling us to move away from making the church an end in itself, but rather for the church, Jubilee, to release a kingdom to a people. That really got me. That's what go means. 
John Hosier writes again, in the church we expect to see signs of the kingdom going out. So if God's will is not expressed through the church going out, then is the church really being the church? When we look at Jesus' ministry, he's on the go all the time. In Jesus we see the rule of God being taken to every uh, people regardless of background or temperament or racial divide or cultural barriers. In Jesus we see the kingdom of God going to people in signs and wonders, healing, in teaching the word, in all, sort, in all forms of sacrificial, compassionate works and generosity. And this kingdom, the Bible tells us, is an everlasting, is an ever-extending kingdom where all the nations of the world will suddenly see and feel its impact. You see, when we have a going commission rather than a coming commission, it changes everything. Let me just give you a few examples. Four. Let's take community. We've recently uh, completed a preaching series on the subject of community. We explored the biblical nature of community. It's many wonderful facets. As Paul, as Paul Woodward has said in the past, you know, community isn't primarily the place where we pat a lot of people on the heads, where we just look after each other, where we just have meetings, where we just have Bible studies. Nowhere. Community is the context for going kingdom activity. It's the training ground for going and making a difference, having an influence on the broken communities around us. Community is where uh, people themselves are healed and restored and transformed and feel secure. Then through those very people, God breaks out into the streets, the schools, the universities, the workplaces, the businesses, the poor, policy making, and so on. That's a going community. Pastoral care isn't primarily, uh, mainly about teaming um, one mature person up with another for discipleship, going through some book. It's not about running a load of courses. It's not about Christian counsel. Once again, don't hear what I'm not saying. There is a role for some some of those things. But in the main, pastoral care is the supernatural, transforming experience of Jesus through the people we live our lives with in community, stepping out into the kingdom purposes that he has marked for us. That's what pastoral care looked like in the lives of the disciples, didn't it? Learning to trust him, learning to be guided by him, learning to be dependent on him. Following him. Some of our community groups are already exploring this. In prayer, running Alpha, serving the local setting, running Sparklers. I hear you guys have a lot, uh, girls have a lot of fun, by the way, in Sparklers. Um, Some of the things I've heard. Anyhow, uh, supporting asylum seekers uh, and refugees, praying for the nations. These are the kind of communities that we want to see more and more of. Jesus says, as a kingdom community, go. Another thing about um, going, what about relationships? A going community, at its heart, has to be very relational. Otherwise, it doesn't stand the test of time. 
one of the great changes that I feel has happened over the last few years, which certainly in my experience we were losing somewhat, is the relational dimension to church. Myself and Charlotte, we, we'd, we'd, we'd be at meetings and running meetings and courses and whatnot most of our time. So much so that we didn't have time to build relationship. Jubilee, our God at his very core, first and foremost, is a relational God. We have a God who we can call Father. More and more, we need to understand this relationship, this fathering relationship, and root it into everything we do. More and more, we need to recapture this dynamic in Jubilee. Some of you are actually much better at it, or naturally much better at it than others. I was thinking about being a dad as I was writing this. You see, as a dad, I love Jesh and Jemima just because I love them. It's not based on performance. I love them just because I love them. I don't, plan, I don't plan any meetings together with a four-point agenda when I get together with them. I don't just keep them safe without, them letting, make, without letting them make mistakes. My contact with them isn't just through emails at a distance. That's not fathering. No, my life as a father is open. It's authentic. It's intimate. It's with them. It's together. No matter how good or naughty they are, I'm rooting for them. I'm encouraging them. I'm always looking out for ways to celebrate their success. And sometimes, where necessary, I need to correct them in love. By my close involvement with them and their close involvement with me, at an emotional and a practical level, we are shaping each other, molding each other, changing each other into what God wants us to be. Jubilee. At the heart of our communities, we want fathering and mothering and parenting, loving, close relationships to develop that nurture and grow us into the people who go. Because that's the ultimate aim of fathering and mothering, isn't it? I remember when Jesh was born, one of the first things I said to Charlotte uh, is, he's not going to be around for very long. Eventually, he'll go. Heartless. And it's not just about our relationships here either. It's about, the church, it's about our relationships with other churches on Teesside. It's about working with other social action groups and public service organizations relationally. It's about relationships with key influential figures in Teesside and beyond. It's about engaging the people of the towns we live in, working for the good of the whole town, not just um, in the best interests of Jubilee or for Christians. It's, about, it's actually about Christ's central churches, the family that we're a part of. We will accomplish much, much, much more together than we could ever accomplish alone. Jubilee relationship is key. And another helpful thing which um, we both uh, caught, um, which links into relationship when Julian was around, that really got my attention, was this issue of spiritual inheritance. He underlined to us that our relationships are a generational thing. God has put in us, God has brought us to a place where we can dis- deposit what we have learned to our next generation. When you hit 40, you start to think about those kind of things more often. 
This is what he said. He said, fathering and mothering. Uh, he, this is what he said about fathering and mothering. He said, in fathering and mothering, my ceiling becomes the next generation's platform. My ceiling becomes the next generation's platform. I like that. That's what biblical inheritance is all about. Through our experience and growth in God, including our mistakes especially, our mistakes, our next generation will start out at a better place to where we are. More and more, each one of you should be thinking this through. Who are you fathering? Who are you mothering? Married couples, who, which couples are you hanging out with and nurturing into the kingdom purposes of God. A going mindset at its heart must do church relationally. Thirdly, um, money. Going changes the way we think about money and resources. Not again, Raj, please. You talked about money last time. I make no apology for talking about money. Why? Because Jesus never did. I thought it was very sobering to hear Julian say the other day, your 10% is not going to change the face of Teesside. It's not, is it? Jubilee, God is calling us, calling us to more generous, sacrificial, faith-filled, joyful giving. A giving that operates in the realm of faith where all of our worked out sums and figures don't always make sense. That's what faith is. We need to pray for more men and women caught up in the going kingdom purposes of God to be creative in business, in in finance, in the arts, in in their influence, in their entrepreneurial gifts to raise and release thousands of pounds into the rule and reign of God through the church, into every area of life, making a difference. He said, where there is kingdom activity and influence, there more people will get saved. The two go hand in hand. And that influences especially how we handle money and resource. It'll look different. As we make a difference in those areas, we won't just take on the values that we see all around us either. It's going to be difficult. You'll be going against the thinking of the day. The business models, the traditional ways of doing things that the world thinks is tried and tested, you'll replace with God's way. It'll be countercultural. People will be thinking, what on earth are you doing? How come you are so caring and generous to your staff? How come you won't do it that way? Because everyone else is doing it. How come you won't compromise on your integrity and your trustworthiness? No one will find out. How come you settle for what seems less when you know that you can make much more in the short term? How come? I'll tell you how come. Because you know that your treasure is not rooted in earthly things, but in heaven. You know that God will reward your faith. You know that operating kingdom values is a much, much better investment. A going people jubilee stewards its money and resources and time, people, skills very differently to a coming people. 
Jubilee, if we're going to make a difference, our resources are not going to be used primarily on pastoral courses and looking after structures and funding us to go and have tea with you every day. We don't do that anywhere, I know. No, it's going to be... It's going, it, the, 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 the money that we raise, the funds, our resources, are going to be used to influence and shape every part of society that God wants us to, uh, to influence. For us to be a going people, our money, resources, staffing, and time need to be rooted into the going purposes of God. And you know what? Some of you might not like that at first. Some have actually left Jubilee, probably because of that. We are a going community. And, what we de- what, and how we spend our finances and how we uh, use our resources should demonstrate that. What about the nations? Fourthly, I have loved hearing and being envisioned, we all have as a, an eldership leadership team over the years, Paul Woodward's heart for taking Jubilee to the nations. I've loved being a part of encouraging and supporting, although uh, really at the early stages, the church in Canada. I've loved watching God bless us with so many different ethnic groups in Jubilee. As visiting people keep telling us, what happening, what, what's happening here is very unique. Well done, Jubilee. Suck it up. Remember that? Jubilee, the church, is an outpost of heaven. And in heaven, there'll be people from every tribe and tongue and people group from across this world. To glimpse that already a little bit in Jubilee is a real honor and privilege. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But as a going people, that doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. We want to go out of our way and encourage as many different ethnic groups to make Jubilee our home, not just to make the place more colorful and vibrant, but to bring about the multicolored purposes of God in every area that God gives us influence in. And so therefore, if you're from another nation, if you're from another nation, we want to hear you. We want, you to, we want you to rise to your God-given gifts and calling. We want, to ch- we want you to challenge our British way of thinking. We want, you, we want you to be present in every area of leadership and church activity and influence. Not just in Open Door, but in Alpha, in eldership, in community groups, in worship, in kids' work, and most importantly, out there where God wants to use you to break into settings that only you can. Jubilee, God is calling us to be a church of many nations going to many nations. John Stott writes, John Stott writes the late John Stott writes, we must, be, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. This year we're going to ta- Tanzania to Turkey, to Canada. This year we're going to be supporting, we're going to continue to support and build the church um, out in uh, West Africa. We're going to be overseeing leaders of churches going to other nations. It's going to cost a lot of money. It might even be dangerous. Not in Canada. (laughs) 
But rightly, biblically, prophetically, that's where Jubilee is going. That's where we are going together on a global mission, a great commission to make disciples of all the nations. Is that where you're going? Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And until then, we're not going to stop going. Scary? Overwhelming? Confusing? Yep, all of that and a lot more. But the thing that gets us through, the thing that gets us through, is my third and final point. The one who has all authority, all exousia, the one who's asking, the one who is commanding us to do what seems impossible is also the very one who will be with us always to the very end of the age. You see, before Jesus told us to go, he first said, wait. Did you know that? In Acts 1, we read that before Jesus goes to be seated with his Father in heaven, before he leaves these 12 ordinary uh, men, his disciples, with all their inadequacies and shortfalls um, to go and change the face of uh, world history, he says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's key. We will never accomplish this without God. We will never get through the trials that all this will entail and the anxieties that all this will entail without God. We will never be able to take the risks of being a going people without God. We will never walk into our God-given destiny without the one with authority. Never. If Jesus, promises to be with, if Jesus promises to be with us, and he does, first and foremost, before we go, we must wait. That is something that God has really been highlighting to us all, especially as an eldership team. I don't like waiting. I want to go. But it's often in the waiting that we prove God. It's often in the waiting that we exercise faith. It's often in the waiting that God shapes and speaks to us. That's been my experience. We are a people with vision jubilee. And when I use the word vision, I'm not talking about some management initiative. That's not the type of vision that governs the church of Jesus. Biblical vision, godly vision, is much greater than management spiel or positive thinking or stirring statements. No, biblical vision is God's revelation to us about the future promises that inspires faith. Just read Isaiah 61 and you'll get a real feel for where God has called us to go. And that call, that vision, is rooted in the fact that Jesus always promises us his very presence forever, without any breaks. When you know Jesus is with you, it changes everything. Be filled with the Spirit. 
Be filled with the knowledge of God. Be filled with him himself. (coughs) We have a God who said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you believe if we're going to be a going people that God wants, that, that, if we're going to be the going people that God wants us to be, then we need to be men and women who walk in the Spirit. We need to be men and women who are ruthlessly pursuing God. We need to be men and women who are totally dependent on the supernatural provision of God. We need to be men and women who learn to wait before we go. I'm going to end there with this. John Piper writes, As long as the world lasts, Jesus will be with us in this world. This is the loving comfort. The one who has put all his enemies under his feet and has died for us and risen for us and triumphed over sin and guilt and condemnation and suffering and death and Satan and who has all authority in heaven and on earth earth, This one comforts us by promising that he will be with us continually to the end of the age to do us good and to bring us safely to everlasting joy. Let's stand, shall we? The band can come up. We're going to worship now. We're also going to take our collection. Uh, If you're a visitor here this 